Good morning and welcome to worship for Springfield Church the Brethren for April the 26th. We are recording this on April the 22nd, Earth Day, which also happens to be my dad's birthday. So happy birthday, dad, if you actually get around to watching this. I hope you're all doing well and staying safe. Not a lot of announcements for today. We are continuing with our Bible study at Tuesday nights at 7 o'clock p.m. Just check out the website or check out your emails that I've been sending out for all the information that you need. Give us a call if you have any problems. It's on Zoom. This week, we are starting on the first letter to John. So we're, we're making a switch. We just finished Esther. We had a wonderful time, and now it's on to John. The music this week, Bev will be playing He Lives by A.H. Ackley. Janice and Olivia will be singing I Love You, Lord by Lori Klein. And the hymn will be number 398, I Love to Tell the Story, which is by Katherine Henke and Will G. Fisher. I want to thank you all who have continued to send in tithings to support this church. You're really able to make sure that we can continue to be here every week. I, I realized that last week, technically, I wasn't here, but you know what I mean. You are all amazing. Thank you so much. If you wish to give to the church, feel free to mail it in or drop it off here at the church. Um, we will make sure that it gets to the right place, and we are in daily to make sure the mail doesn't sit in the mailbox. I invite you now to enter in this time of worship as we listen to the music. Thank you. 
if you'll pray with me. Holy One, we ask that you work within us, that you move our hearts so they point towards you, so they point towards the kingdom of heaven. These are strange days for us, strange days in which it's not always easy to know what is the right way and what is the right thing. We thank you. We thank you for your direction, for that still small voice that pushes us to do the right thing. We ask for safety for those men and women who go out every day to serve us and the public, for those who work in hospitals and doctor's offices and clinics, for those who stock the grocery shelves, who harvest and deliver and clean and prepare the food, for those in restaurants, for those who are out there keeping us safe, for those who are out there delivering packages. We ask for their safety. We ask for safety and comfort to those of our brothers and sisters who continue to keep their distance from others. We pray for those in retirement homes, in nursing homes. They know that they aren't alone. Help us to be present for them. Help them to feel your presence. We pray all these things in the name of the one who is and was and the one who will come again. Amen.
Today's scripture comes from the end of the Gospel of John. This is after Jesus has already risen from the dead and he has met the disciples at the Sea of Galilee. It's 21, 15 through 19. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Jesus again said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Blessed is this word. Amen. Who am I? It's one of those basic questions that we, we humans ask ourselves over and over again. It's one of those things that you, you start to, to ask even when you're a child. It becomes a pervading issue when you become a, a young adult. It's still an issue we deal with in our everyday lives. So we seek to define ourselves. Now, often we define ourselves through our relationships. You know, I am my parent's child, I'm my spouse's partner, I'm my child's parent. We also define ourselves by our occupations, food we love to eat, hobbies, our interest. Or we define ourselves by the groups that we associate with, our church communities, the hometown you were born in, or the state you live in, or the town you currently are living in your political party, your faith group, your church. We define ourselves most often by relationships, by comparison to something. Either I am similar to this or I'm indifferent than that. It reminds me of something I learned from my professor in, at Elizabethtown College, Jeff Long. Now, Dr. Long is the professor of religion and Asian studies. And I remember in his Buddhist class, I'm gonna to have to preface this by saying that I remember learning this, but I cannot honestly nail down exactly what section of it all that we learned it from. I just remember learning it. But we were talking about relationality. So I want you to imagine with me a blackboard of immense size, infinite in every direction. Point being is you can't see the edges. And then I want you on that board to draw a little dot and label it A. 
Then I want you to draw a second dot above it and to the right. Thanks for that B. And then we're going to label that B and another dot below it, and we're going to call it C. And then I want you to describe point A. Now you may mention, oh, it's below and to the left of B. It's directly above C. You may, if you're really good at these kinds of things, be able to describe the exact distance between each of them and maybe even the angle. You may even use yourself as, as one of those points. You know, it's directly in front of me. It's right in the middle of my field of vision. I mean, if you, you could also describe it by how it looks. I mean, it's a dot. You could talk about how it's round. Maybe you could describe how it's actually larger than the dot labeled B. But you've pretty much described everything in relationality. What if then you took B and C and you erased them? It changes how you describe A. A in itself hasn't actually changed. It hasn't gone anywhere. But now how you describe it, how you define it, is different. Even if we add back in the dots, even if we add more dots, it won't be the same. It'll be different. It is always different. A is always going to be changed once you change its relationality with everything. It's the same thing with ourselves. We define ourselves, as I said, through relationships with others, with the world, with with things, and things change. I mean, change isn't necessarily a good or a bad thing, it just is. I mean, thank heavens, I am not the same person I was when I was in high school. I mean, my physical location is different, obviously. I have different relationships, different interests, works, hobbies. Some things are really new, some things are just slightly different. Yeah, some things I like to be a little more like then. Anyway. But of course, there's also been negative changes. You know, I've lost loved ones. I've seen hard times. I've done things I'm not proud of. I may still be a dot labeled A. I may still inhabit more or less the same body but I've intrinsically changed over the years. Now, this can be a disturbing thought. After all, if we are defined by our relationships with people, things, and places, what makes us us? That actually brings me to one other Buddhist tale I, I was strongly reminded of. It comes from a book called the Melinda Paintha, which I probably butchered really awfully. The questions of Melinda, it's, it's a king, and he's asking this sage known as Nagasena questions. And he asks, where is the self? I am me, but what makes me me? Nagasena says, well, what part of a chariot makes a chariot? Is it the wheels? Is it the axles? Is it the little platform you ride on? No, it's all the parts combined. The sum is greater than the parts. I mean, in a modern context, what makes your car your car? Is it the engine? Is it the wheels? 
This is the seat warmer. Paul actually addressed this directly in 1 Corinthians 12. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Now, in, in this story, in this letter, Paul is actually talking about the church. But it can be very well applied to us, our lives, our beings, to us defining ourselves. There are many facets to us. We are a mix of our current and our past relationships, our current narratives and our histories. But there is something more, something deeper in us. You can call it personality or your heart if you wish. I'm going to call it soul. It's that part of you that's innately still you. While it's shaped and mutated at times by the outside world, it's not oriented to the world. It's oriented according to God. Now, sometimes our soul points directly towards God, but that actually I don't think terribly often happens. It's hard to point straight at the divine. It's very intense. We point towards it still as much as we can. And that orientation cannot be easily changed, even by God. God gives us that freedom. He asks that we, we choose our path back to God. Now, sometimes we're like Saul, you know, going really counter what God has called us to. And we need to be struck blind to stop us and give us space to examine the path and thus, hopefully, reorienting ourselves back to the divine. Other times we are like Peter. We know what we need to do, but it's hard because we know what reorientation means. Twice. Twice Jesus asked Peter if he loved him to the point he was willing to give up his own life to follow Jesus. Peter, agape. Peter responds two times that he loved Jesus like a brother. Jesus, oh, Philios. Jesus tells him to feed his sheep after each time. Finally, Jesus actually asked Peter if he loved him like a brother. And Peter is very hurt and tells Jesus that he already knows everything. He knows how much Peter loves him. There's a lot of theological and biblical studies debate over the fact that Jesus uses agape and Peter uses philios, whether that means something or not, or whether it's just the way that sometimes we're loose with our words and we mix them around and we're, they were using them basically as synonyms. I don't know. But I do believe that the Bible talks to us in many deep layers. And there's something to be found in the fact that John put it down those words in that way. 
Peter is being asked to lead the followers of Christ as Jesus did. Now, Peter has already seen what happens when you lead the followers like Jesus did. And we can't blame him if he felt fear. Saying, yes, Lord, I love you, but I'm not sure I can go up onto the cross like you did. I'm pretty sure that I can't self-resurrect like you did. Most of us are more like Peter than Paul. At least I'm hoping you're not out there dragging people out of their homes. You know, please don't be Paul like that. They saw half of Paul. Most of us have followed Jesus for a long time like Peter. We already know what the path to Jesus in the kingdom of heaven looks like. And it's a frightening thing. For while our souls strive to point directly to God, we know that it will change our relationships with people, with the world. We look to Peter, who does and doesn't follow Jesus' example in the end. I mean, he is crucified, though upside down. We see people like John Klein, Felix Mentz, Ted Studebaker, people who followed God despite the risk and entered the kingdom of heaven a little earlier than planned. You don't need to answer Jesus' question, though, right now. Peter was right. You may have a hard time telling Jesus, you agape him, but your heart is already known to him. Jesus knows what you yearn to do and who you yearn to be. He already knew that Peter would, would be willing to lay down his life for the way. Yes, making the choice to orient yourself on God will change where you are. It will change your relationships. It will change who you are. It may lead you to a life you never dreamed of but you don't do it alone. After all, we have the last words of Ma in Matthew, Jesus' final words. Surely I am with you always to the end of the age. You also have your community. We may not be meeting in here every Sunday, but we're still here. And they walk with you when you make mistakes, when you do the right thing, when you stumble. And the thing I love most about this is while you are your own point A and you're being changed by the moving bits and pieces of the world and while you strive to orient yourself to God, you're somebody else's point B and someone else's point M and someone else's point Z.32-A1. You affect the world too. And when you change and point yourself more directly at God, you're helping all of those people in their own point A's turn a little more towards the kingdom of heaven as well. And isn't that what we're all called to do? Thank you.
as we go out this week, have your heart open to looking for where the kingdom of heaven is and pointing itself towards there so that we may be led to where Jesus has called us to be. Amen.